Welcome to Common Ground Church, Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of James is rich in learning to know God's heart for his people and how to walk in obedience and faithfulness. Please continue listening for today's message. Boasting about tomorrow. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was, that was half-hearted. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, you're going to make up for the other half who are not here, who are stuck at home. But it's well done to all of you for joining us online if you couldn't get out of your house this morning. My name is Mike, I'm one of the leaders here, and it is a privilege to bring God's Word to you uh, this morning. And uh, I want to start with a story. In 2019, our family received a once-in-a-lifetime invitation. For a friend's 40th, we were invited to enjoy a full week at a private luxury game reserve, accommodation, food, multiple game drives a day, even fancy coffee included. Sound good? who's feeling like they could do with some of that in this mid-October time, right? And this was gonna tick so many bucket list items for us as a family. Take kids to see wild animals in their natural habitat, tick. Take kids on fancy holiday, tick. Take kids on first aeroplane trip, tick. And escape into the bush for a week and leave the hustle and bustle of life behind, tick. Well, it's a good thing I had memorized Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart. (laughs) But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And, And you can guess by your laughter, I know, you know when this trip was planned for, right? Smack bang in hard lockdown. We all have a 2020 story, right? And if we had to chat, you probably got multiple stories of making plans, having to shift and adjust and change them. If you're like me, maybe you cringe at the word pivot, right? Got a bit of post-traumatic stress from that word. It's been everyone's reality, we all have stories, but it has been hard, right? Some of our plans didn't come to pass. They couldn't happen. Some of us suffered real loss, family members that we will never see. Maybe there's health that's been suffered and hasn't recovered, or maybe there was work that was lost, things that can't be recovered. Some of our plans just had to be adjusted, we had to rethink it and and make a new plan. Some of our plans just had to kind of be delayed, shifted out. Last Saturday, I did a wedding for a couple. They'd been married legally in the UK, but they wanted their Cape Town family wedding in 2020. They had a date, and then they had another date, 
And uh, then they had another date, and only it was last week that they managed to get out here with the whole family and do the whole thing. And, and as I stood up front there with the groom waiting for the bride to, to come through, he opened his jacket, and there embroidered on the inside of his jacket was the date of the first wedding. <laughs> Just a reminder of un- how uncertain all of our plans are, right? Thankfully for us, our game reserve holiday fitted into the delayed plans. And a year and a bit later, we actually did get to go on it. It was amazing. But what was really special about that is is in the waiting and the uncertainty, God actually taught our family a whole lot of stuff, mostly about holding that plan quite loosely. Is it gonna happen, isn't gonna happen? And God put a deposit in our family during that time of uncertainty. Psalm 81 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's a good thing about a sovereign God. But then it says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That phrase for our family through the year, open your mouth wide, he's a good God. He wants to fill it with good things. And we're gonna hopefully see some of that this morning. Despite all of this, we remain a planning people, don't we? We love to live by our calendars and our diaries, don't we? We love to think about the future, make our plans, to make decisions today about what tomorrow's going to look like. And these are not bad things. But in the text today, James has something, some sobering truths he wants to bring to us about the condition of our hearts. It's gonna reveal who we are really relying on and help us see ultimately who is in control. And uh, I grappled with this text because they, they're quite sobering. We can walk out here feeling like, oh man, thanks Mike for bringing some, some really good news to me. But it actually, as I got through it, I was like, man, this is such good news. And I, want, I hope my prayer for us is that we will see this is such good news, that as we acknowledge God as sovereign over all things, that we get to right place ourselves in light of that and we actually get to live in some of his comfort and his peace and his leading and ultimately his presence. And so are we ready? I hope so. So let's call up Henry. Henry's gonna read today's uh, text. We're heading to James chapter four, verses 13 to 17. Yes, good morning, church. See the scripture reading. Let's get that mic. So our scripture reading today. Good morning, church. It's fantastic to be here without a microphone. And I'm reading from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. And starting in verse 13, But come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Yet 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Yeah, in the reading of his word. Amen. There are not many people who can get their voice to project, but Henry, <laughs> uh, blessing. Thank you for reading that. This year, if you've been with us, we've been tracking through the book of James, right? And we've been taking it slowly on purpose, verse by verse, hearing what God has to say to us, right? We're in a third section and we're gonna have a fourth section later on in the year. And this section we've been in has all been about humility, humbly submitting to God, drawing close to Him, right-placing ourselves. Last week, Garth was up here and he taught us that we are not the judge. We're not to put ourselves in the judgment seat, right? See, to do this is, is, is an arrogance. It's, it's full of pride, looking at others and saying, hey, what applies to you doesn't actually apply to me. It's the same type of spirit that we have when we're driving our car and someone speeds past us and you say, oh, I hope they get caught. But then when you get caught, it's like there's an excuse and it's unfair, right? It's that spirit of, hey, what applies to you doesn't apply to me. And James is gonna take, it's gonna flow from that text into this text and he's gonna put his finger on that same spirit, pride and arrogance that is in our hearts. And he's gonna expose something in us. It's gonna be good for us to get into it. And so the passage starts with two words. Now, now James has been using these words throughout the book so far. My dear brothers and sisters. My dear brothers and sisters. It shows us that, that, that James loves these people. He sees them as brothers. He sees them as sisters. He sees them as family, right? They've been grafted in, adopted into this family just like him by faith in Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters. But he starts with these two words, come now, come now. Can you hear there's a tone, there's a care, there's a compassion, come now. But there's also a bit of that parental exasperation. It's kids pack away before supper becomes come now. Pack away, let's get going, it's supper time, right? There's this kind of pastoral, but also this parental come now, I've got something for you. And for us, it's helpful to have a roadmap of where we're gonna go this morning as we look at what God is saying to us. And I think James has got four things for us this morning. He's gonna call us to correctly view the future. He's gonna call us to correctly view ourselves. He's gonna call us to correctly view God. And he's gonna call us to correctly view our sin. And all the while, he's, he's, he's getting us to check the condition of our hearts and humbly submit before a sovereign God. Verse 13 and 14 say, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James calls us to correctly view the future. You see, in this time that, that James was writing this letter, there was growing economic activity there was opportunity for trade and for travel and for business, for moving around. And so it was very normal for people to be making plans like this. And this type of planning is not ungodly. 
James is not condemning work or making plans or making money or even being wealthy. You just gotta check the rest of scripture that that's true. But what he is doing is he's exposing a heart condition that is prideful, that is arrogant, and ultimately we're gonna see it's sinful. Listen to what these guys are actually saying. They say, we will, we will go. They say, we have control over all of our comings and goings. We will go. Then they say, we will, we will spend a year. They say, hey, we have control over all of our time. Now they say, we will trade. We have control over all of our activities. And then they say, we will make a profit. We have control over every outcome. Maybe you can spot yourself in one of those or possibly all of those. And can you see how every element of life here has been planned? It's under control. It's thought through, it's plotted out. There's a presumption here that it's all gonna come to pass. Maybe you feel that way as you, as you get out your calendar and you plot things in and there's this sort of like, I'm putting it in, it will happen. But we're gonna see that this is a misplaced certainty. It's worldly, this prideful arrogance, the spirit that James is getting at. It puts us in the sovereign seat when that seat belongs to only one person. And of course, in this passage, there is an economic element. It says we will make a profit. We can't get away from that. But I think the challenge is far broader than just to those who make decisions about making money. Because many of us can say, I've made plenty of decisions that are not for financial gain. It actually mean that, it means that I didn't make money. And you can say, cool, this passage is not for me. I'm out. I don't think James lets us off the hook because it's a spirit. It's, it's a condition of our heart that he's after. And we can have the same prideful condition when we, plan our, 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 when we plan our lives around our leisure. Many of us in Cape Town love to do that. Everything circles around our leisure, our entertainment, our fun. Many of us, our lives, our planning centers around our comfort. I, I just need everything to be comfortable and easy in my life. For some of us, we spot ourselves in safety. Everything's planned and organized around keeping it safe and protected and just so. Or maybe it's even around a relationship. Everything centers around that. All of my planning is around that. It's an attitude of the heart that James is, answer, is after. And in answer to this, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. These nine words are powerful, they're humbling, and they're absolutely true. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I know that you can call to mind a moment, possibly multiple moments in your life where this has been true. Where you've got the news, or maybe you got the phone call that changed your tomorrow. The cancer diagnosis, the retrenchment bombshell, the rejection letter, the let's just be friends message. The nine words hold true. I remember exactly where I was, uh, where, which room I was in, a friend's holiday house in Plett where I got a phone call uh, with the words, he's only got weeks to live. That changes tomorrow, right? Jesus tells a story um, of the rich fool 
who after a bumper crop decides to build bigger barns and store it all. So what does he want to do? He wants to relax, he wants to eat, he wants to drink, and he wants to be merry. Sounds quite a lot like the Cape Town life, doesn't it? And maybe even possibly the people in the passage that James is speaking to. But what does God say? What does God respond to this guy? He says, fool. He says, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We all know what that's like, right? For something to break or fade or go out of fashion or to be taken from us, stolen from us. Jesus reminds us that earthly things don't last which is why both James and Jesus are after our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, James knows that our words are actually a mirror of our hearts. And what is in our hearts? He's already told us at the beginning of chapter four. Ian took us there a couple weeks ago. He says there are inner passions that are at war with one another. That's what's in your heart. And it's our earthly passions that are trying to lean towards self-reliance, making our own plans, trusting in ourselves instead of God. Uh, that, that, that he knows that we're intent at controlling our lives, our calendars, and our futures. And so he calls us to acknowledge that we cannot control the future. We don't even know what it is. Proverbs 27.1 agrees, it says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You do not know what a day may bring. For some of us, maybe the anxiety starts to rise when you hear that. You're like, thanks, Mike, I came in this room to be comforted, and now my anxiety's rising. Oh, man, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I'm trusting that James is gonna take us there and show us where our confidence can lie. But before that, he's got another heavy one for us. Here's a question for us. If you had to write your autobiography, what would its title be? I wish I could go around the room and hear what everyone's thinking right now. What would your title be? James has a title for me and he's got a title for you. It's one word, mist. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Jesus calls us to correctly view ourselves. Many of you know that before working at Common Ground, I was a teacher at a primary school um, around the corner here. And uh, one of the things was, I had to do was coach rugby. And so these cold winter Saturday mornings pitching up at the rugby field. And every now and again, there was this mist that had set in that you couldn't even see the posts on the other side of the field. And the kids would arrive and they're warming up and they're in their tracksuits and they're cold. And um, we called them the dew soakers because they got the field dry for everyone else later in the day. The dew soakers. And, and uh, then they would get on the field and, and, and the mist had kind of started to lift. And then somewhere through the game, you're like, hey, where's the mist? It's gone. It's disappeared. It hasn't shifted somewhere else. It has just gone. The sun has come up and the mist has disappeared. See, James is not yet done with helping us see things clearly. One of the knock and effects of planning and controlling every minute detail of our lives is that we really begin to believe it's all gonna happen. And he's asking us to take stock of our lives and he says, what is your life? It's kind of like pull the handbrake up, 
It's a challenging question. Have you weighed your life correctly? And scripture is full of metaphors for how short our life really is. It's a shadow, it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's a flower that blooms and dies, grass that springs up and withers. James in chapter one has told us that our life will pass away like a wild flower. One of my favorites is David's description of life like a breath. He says this in Psalm 39, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Yo, that's incredible. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. In comparison to God, we are but a breath. How about this question? Do you know the first name of your great-grandfather? Some of you might. I'm guessing most of us don't. I don't. And yet, his DNA is, is, is within you. The decisions he's made in his life has impacted your life, and we don't know his first name. It shows us that, that life is short, right? Life is really short. Earlier this year, I did a funeral. I stood up here, the family were all here. It was for a young guy, just a few years younger than me. As, and, and, and we were here, and then we, then we drove off to the, to the cemetery, and I stood there as family and friends walked past, throwing flowers uh, into the grave, saying their last goodbyes, and then everybody taking turns to shovel some dirt and cover it up. It was really stark. It was a picture of life is a mist. It's very short. As a kid, I might miss some people here, but as a kid, I loved the Highlander movies and series. Anyone with me? Okay, I see some hands, thank goodness, all right. I'm Duncan MacLeod, born 400 years ago in the Highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, there can be only one. And of course, the Queen soundtrack in the background, hey? A Highlander story, if you don't know, is the story of immortals, people who can live forever. And we can watch and we can enjoy the story, but if we're honest, some of us live a little bit like that. Like we can cheat death, like we're actually gonna be immortal. And we do these things, we exercise, run marathons, and we eat healthy, we take supplements, we get procedures done, we moisturize and color our hair and wear trendy clothes. You know, we think maybe, maybe I can be one to cheat what is inevitable. But it is true, we're all gonna die, we are all a mist. Um, my father-in-law likes to remind the family of Psalm 90 that says, our days are three score and 10, 20, 20, 20, 10, 70 years. That's what Psalm 90 says. But it is also true that we are eternal. There's a tension here. You're a mist and you're eternal. <laughs> See, this is how God made us. Once this life is over, we continue to exist. And if we only believe, uh, believe our life is a mist, this short thing, we can have a very low view on what it means to live. But actually James is calling us to consider this misty life in view of eternity. It has eternal consequences the way we live our lives now. But it's really hard to do, right? It's really hard to kind of see through the mist of the temporary into the eternal. We struggle to do that. I struggle to do that, right? We struggle to have faith that there is something else, that there's more to come, 
that this impacts that. It's a little bit like that marshmallow test. You've seen it where you put a marshmallow in front of a kid and you say, you can eat it now or you can wait five minutes and I'll come back with another one and then you can have two. And you've seen those videos of kids struggling, right? It's that kind of like, do I believe that it's really gonna happen or should I just take what I can get now? Should I just drink, eat, drink and be merry? You know, like that guy in the story. The marshmallow test. (laughs) Do we believe that God is good? That he's for us, he's not against us? that he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. I love the prayer of the father in Mark chapter 10. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that all of us? I pray that prayer a lot for myself. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that one of the best ways we can fight this this unbelief in our lives is to worship. And it's been said that worship is preparation to die well. Worship is preparation to die well because in in worship, we humble ourselves. We magnify God and see that he is sovereign and we anticipate with longing eternity to come. That's what we do in worship. We're not just doing Christian karaoke. We are right placing ourselves before a sovereign God. We're anticipating the life to come. And so in verse, verse 14, James has, has reminded us to correct view our lives, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge that short, it's insignificant, that we're a mist that is here and vanishes. But I started by saying that he was gonna expose our hearts and maybe you, you're feeling a bit of that to me, like I'm feeling even more anxious and more uncertain. I said there was good news, here's the good news. He carries on in verse 15 and says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, James now is calling us to correctly view God. He's calling us to correctly view God. He's reminded us that we're not in control of our lives or our futures, and now we get to see that there is someone who is in complete control. I said earlier that our words are like a mirror to our hearts. Verse 13 says, we will. That's a mirror to what's happening in our hearts. We will do it in our own strength. And he says, no, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. You see, there's a way of speaking that, that, that shows that and acknowledges that God is sovereign. And it echoes the Lord's prayer. We get back to Matthew 6 and it says, thy will be done, not my will be done. We've got to be careful though because these words aren't a spiritual formula to get God to agree with our plans. You know, Sam Aubrey says this, this type of talk is, is sloganeering when we do that. We say something with our words, but our hearts remain unchanged. And we live in an age of major sloganeering. There's agendas all around us and we pressure to kind of give the thumbs up and the like and give our support to everything that's happening, right? But I think many people do this with their words without anything changing in their hearts. In today's culture, this is called virtue signaling. It's trying to win the praise of others for showing support for social causes without actually doing anything meaningful to advance. It's kind of like, oh, I like what's going on there. I'm not getting out of my chair. And what James is after here is virtue signaling of the worst kind. It's if we claim with our words that our plans are the God's will, but actually our hearts remain arrogant and unchanged. Uh, Sam Albury carries on and says, no, godliness 
is far more than sloganeering. And to be clear, of course, to say the words, if the Lord wills, is, is not wrong, as long as our heart condition is right. And John Calvin, he speaks of Jesus and Paul and other disciples uh, when he speaks about why don't they go around saying God willing or if it's the Lord's will. He says, no, it's more a principle fixed in their minds that they would do nothing without the permission of God. A principle fixed in their minds that they would do nothing without the permission of God. This is what God wants for his readers. It's what he wants for us, that we would have a principle fixed in our minds that every plan, intention, every opportunity be submitted to God. And so what does this correct view look like? Well, let me, let me put it to you in a question. Have you considered that God has a plan for your life? Let's just take 2023 as an example. We're all in that kind of stage, aren't we? It's getting towards the end of the year. We're considering next year. What is work gonna look like? What's, what are we gonna do as a family? Are we gonna go on holiday? Maybe you've applied for something. Maybe there's travel on the cards, uh, study opportunities. We're all in that place right now. I turned 40 in January 2024. And um, I had this uh, idea a few weeks ago and I said to Jane, hey, what if I did 40 before 40? 40 things before 40, 40, you know, been holding off and like, oh, one day I'll do it. Like, what if I just set a deadline and I go for it? And I realize saying that out loud brings a fair amount of accountability, right? <laughs> one of them being what's happening out there right now, okay? But have I submitted that to God? Have I said, God, is, is this your permission? Is, ooh, hello, that's my water. That's a risk. But have I submitted this to God? Have you, whatever you were thinking about when I said 2023, have you submitted that to God? And here's a more challenging question. What happens when it doesn't happen? What happens when your plans don't come to pass? Are you devastated? Are you broken because your plans haven't happened? It's like a litmus test to our hearts, right? You've all had that when you, why am I so upset about this? And you're like, Oh, I was doing that all in my own strength. I wasn't trusting that God's purpose prevails. What's at the root here? I love C.S. Lewis when he says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I wonder if God would look at your plans and say, I feel like you're far too easily pleased with what 2023 looks like. You might have these amazing plans and God might say, hey, don't be so easily pleased. Pleased. What's happening here is do we really believe that God is good? Do we really believe that He has better plans for us? Sandcastles by the sea instead of mud pies in the slum. Do we really believe that there is infinite joy on offer? And of course, this, this isn't to say that um, uh, people who make their plans don't get their plans. We all know people, right, who've tracked out their lives in the five, 10, 20 year, and it's all on track and it's going amazing. I had my 20 year school reunion uh, a, a couple weeks ago. And as I went around the room, it really seemed to me, I was like, man, these guys, they, they've all got it together. It feels like 20 years and it's all on track for them. But ultimately, 
we find that these, these are mud pies in the slum if it's not submitted to God. And I would pray for this community, for each one of you, I'd pray, God, would you give us a vision for the seaside? Would you give us a vision for the seaside? You've got something far better for my life. What is that? Give me the taste of it now so that I can long for that. And of course, it's also very possible to submit, to submit all your plans to God and to still be the person who goes from town to town trading and making a profit. So James doesn't have a problem with the activity. He's not trying to shut that down. He's after the heart. And our job as Christ followers is not to look to the left and right and compare what's happening over there. It's actually to say, God, here's my life. I'm sitting, submitting my life to you. So I said there was good news and we're getting into it, right? The good news is when we recognize and remember God is the one who is in control. Listen to Sam Albury, he says, he is sovereign. We, for all our busy planning, are not. Our attitude is to be one that is informed and shaped by this reality. All we do is in the hands of God. I am not the master of my own destiny. I'm not the captain of my soul. My life is not the unchanging center of the universe. I am like a fleeting mist and I'm not in control of the wind's direction, nor when I vanish. See, when we allow the reality uh, to be shaped and informed by the truth that, that we are not the masters and not the captains of our souls, I believe we do experience a sigh of relief. Like, I don't have to control every minute detail of everything. The pressure, the stress, the anxiety actually taken off. Jesus says, you know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That is what we actually walk into experience. And it's so good that we have someone who is in complete control. And he is good. He is good. We struggle to believe it, but he is good at his call. I love the story of the prodigal son because I find myself in both the brothers, right? But the older brother, he moans to his dad and says, you never gave me a single goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father replies to him, and I feel as I was prepping, I was like, this is for at least one person. This might be for many people in the room. You need to hear just this today. He says, son, daughter, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And obviously this is not about the stuff of God. We're like, oh, all of God's stuff is mine. No, no, it's about God himself being the, the true treasure. Jesus tells the story of the man who sells everything, he gives up everything and he buys the field so he can obtain the treasure that's in the field. It's a picture of us saying, God, everything else is insignificant compared to you being the true treasure of my heart. And so we right-size ourselves by reflecting on the truth that we are not in control of our future or our lives. They're fleeting. We bring ourselves humbly low, but we magnify God and get a correct picture of who he is. And then finally, James calls us to correctly view our sin. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's clear that the original audience is not submitting to God. James says, this is what you ought to do, but you're actually doing this. 
He speaks here of boasting. Boasting in and of itself is not, is not wrong. We boast and it shows where our confidence lies. We can boast in God. We can show our confidence lies in God. But these guys, they're boasting in arrogance. Douglas Moo says, this is misplaced pride. Misplaced pride. It's placing our confidence in ourselves instead of God and then feeling proud about it. And only a few verses earlier, we heard it a couple weeks ago up front here, that it says God opposes the proud. This type of boasting in our arrogance actually sets us up in opposition to God. James doesn't mince his words, he says it's evil and it's sinful. And now those two words that we started with, they take on a different tone, I think. Come now. It's kind of like, come now. Do you see what you're doing isn't just about making plans and moving around. Can you see what's actually happening here is sinful? You're not in step with God's will. I imagine these guys, much like us, would be like, well, it's not breaking the law and it's not overtly wrong, so what's wrong with it? But James would show us it's far worse than we think. It's actually our very hearts and our words display what's in our hearts, this boasting, this declaring certainty about the future, And James would say, this is the right thing to do, submit to God. And if we don't do that, that's sin. And all of us fall short in this regard. You see, James is calling us to correctly view our sin. And to do that isn't just to see that, okay, cool, I can see that I'm more sinful than I ever knew. It's actually also to know the cost of our sin. And as I was prepping, I felt God lay a question on my heart. He says, what is lost in a year? What is lost in a year? You see, these guys are going around and it says they're spending a year giving themselves to their own plans for a year. What is lost? What is the cost of that? Maybe as you plan your 2023 and if it was in your own strength completely, what would be lost? What would you miss out on if that was the case? I think James is hinting at that far more can be lost than we can imagine. Yeah, maybe there's some blessings of God as we, as we don't walk with him, but I think actually James is hinting at that we could lose far more than that, that we could lose our very souls. Matthew, uh, James says in Matthew, sorry, Jesus says in Matthew, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The stakes are very high. Our very souls are in the balance. This misty life, it's short, but I've said it determines our eternal trajectory. And once we have forfeited our soul, no amount of planning and getting in control and getting the calendar out is going to help us. We will hear the words of God and it, the words are, you fool. And it's not, you fool, it's, oh, you fool. Now look what was on, off, on offer. And, and you gave it up for mud pies. The cost of forfeiting our soul is great and it's eternal. Here's not just the good news, here's the great news. Payment has been made. Payment has been made. You guys can cast your eyes to the tables at the frontier. Payment has been made. There it is, the symbol of the payment that has been made. The stakes were high for Jesus and how did he respond? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This call in James has been to humble ourselves. How fortunate that we have someone who's gone before us and humbled himself. 
when we see that, when we see the beauty of Jesus, his love, his sacrifice, his mercy on the cross, I think we will be able to do more fully what James has been calling us to do in this passage, humble ourselves and correctly view the future in ourselves and God. And so we are gonna respond. We're gonna respond to God. And so let's remember what James is calling us to. He says, correctly view the future. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Correctly view yourself. Your life is a mist. Correctly view God and correctly view your sin. I'm gonna call the band up and we're gonna respond in two ways. We're gonna respond by worship and we're gonna respond in communion. And I'm trusting that God has been speaking at you having his hand on you during this time and, and you're gonna respond in the way that's gonna be appropriate for you. But I did say earlier that worship is preparation to die well. It's, a, it's, it's where we humble ourselves, we magnify God, we look into the future. And it's right for us to come to the communion table when we talk about humility. And see, we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Your life really is a mist. It appears for a little time and then vanishes we can be left quite uncertain, shaken. I don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring, but we have hope. This is what Hebrews tells us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And uh, as you approach this table, I want you to see that I want you to see it as a rock. I want you to see it as a rock. I want you to see it as a sure and certain hope. I want you to see it as a refuge for your souls. And of course, I'm not talking about the table and I'm not even talking about the elements. These show us something of who our God is. A God who humbled himself, a God who went before us, a God who made a way, a God who says, um, you are welcome in, you are now sons and daughters all that I have is yours. You've, you've always been with me. I love those words of the Father to the Son. And so I'm gonna put a scripture up on the screen in Psalm 39. We were there earlier and there's a few more verses and I'm gonna call you to respond in your own way. Maybe it's just on your own. That's fine. Maybe it's with someone next to you you wanna pray and then the band's gonna lead us into worship. You may not be a Christ follower, and it's okay to remain in your seat. The pressure's not on you. You can just stay and you know, consider what's, what's been said, listen to the worship. But for us who are Christ followers, let's respond. We're gonna come forward, we're gonna take the bread, we're gonna take the juice, and we are gonna respond to God. We're not gonna take it together all as one in your own time. The band's gonna lead us. Uh, you're gonna reflect on that psalm for a little bit, and then we are gonna sing together. So let's stand, and I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna do that. Yeah, Father, thank you for your word to us today. It's so good to be humbled and to right-size you. And you don't let us off the hook and it's such a good thing because you've got so much more for us. And I pray for each of us now, maybe some of us need to just submit our plans to you. Some of us might need to repent and say, oh man, I'm sorry, I haven't been living in that way. Some of us need to just acknowledge that you are sovereign. Or maybe some of us just need to delight and say, God, you are king and you're great and I get to enjoy you and that's amazing. And we do that all through communion because it says that you're the forerunner, Jesus, the one who went before us, who made the way for access to the Father, that the cost has been paid. And we're so grateful for that. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. Amen. 
All right, why don't you come forward, why don't you grab the elements and then we're gonna carry on prayer and uh, in worship.